So in Acts chapter 11, we're going to look at the very first time the term Christian is used in the Holy Scriptures. So uh, go with me to Acts chapter 11. Those of you in the chapel watching live video streaming, we're thrilled that you're a part of this. Here we go, verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen, that was Acts chapter 7, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. In all of life, if you want success, if you want to prosper in any endeavor, in our marriages, our relationships, our careers, our ministries, our mission in life, and particularly evangelizing and soul winning, we need to make sure that the hand of the Lord, his approval and his blessing is with us. And as a result, it says a great number believed and turned to the Lord. We're praying for that in America. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And here it is. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar, a historical fact. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. It is a privilege to study the Holy Scriptures. Thank you, God, that your word we will allow to enter our hearts and find a home in our lives today. We'll be the better because of it. And we won't simply be hearers of the word, but doers. There'll be action to our faith and our believing today, God. So I thank you for your blessing and your anointing upon everyone that is within the sound of my voice today. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. We live in a hashtag world. Now, for those of us that are 50 or older, you're like, okay, what's a hashtag? It's a, it's a metadata tag that's used on social media or blogging that's attached to a particular word or phrase so that anybody searching for that particular word or phrase are able to come uh, uh, along, come on to it. Uh, it's kind of, it's the pound key, basically, or the tic-tac-toe game image that's placed before a word. Now, there are some popular hashtags in our culture today, such as OMG, or LOL, or TGIF, or MAGA, or WWJD, or the one that I heard a few months ago, my son used it on me, he was about talking to me about jumping out of an airplane on it with a parachute with some friends. I'm like, 
Why would you want to do that? Uh, why would anybody want to jump out of a perfectly fine airplane? I can't understand that. But he said, uh, man, it's something I've always wanted to do, Dad. And then he said, YOLO. I'm like, what? Yo-yo? YOLO. I'm like, what's Lolo? And then like my wife, I think, even chimed in like, you don't know what that means? I'm like, no, y'all, please inform me, educate me. He said, YOLO, you only live once. How many of you ever, have ever used that before? Okay, that you're under 30 then. <laughs> so YOLO. And, and you know, I, I think in life it's important that you challenge assumptions. Just because something sounds true doesn't necessarily mean it is true. Take, for example, that phrase YOLO, which is kind of the carpe diem of the digital world that we now live in. YOLO, you only live once, is really a false statement. Why? Because you actually live every day and you only die once. I know that was deep. I understand based on your reaction there. You live every day and you only die once. So you know what? You do want to make your life count for something. I believe uh, the, the section of scripture that we're looking at is that we all understand that we want, to, we want our life to count for something. And in this YOLO generation, it's amazing how that phrase is attached to all kinds of less than noble aims and activities. For example, YOLO, so spring break in South Beach, Miami. Or YOLO, party till you drop. Or YOLO, don't take your studies seriously. Or YOLO, don't work hard, play hard. If you have a loved one or you have a friend or a family member that whenever you end a conversation with them or you're parting ways with them and they say, remember, don't work too hard. Never listen to that advice. Reject that advice. People that don't have a good work ethic in life end up unemployed. The Bible rewards hard work. The Bible says that prosperity is the result of hard work. Thank God for men and women who know how to work hard. Can we give it up for all the hard workers out there? No one's your friend if they'll ever tell you don't work too hard. Next time they tell you that, say, excuse me, I'm going to work as hard as I can because I love work. Amen. So there's a difference, though, in living a fun life, YOLO, versus a, a full life. And really, a, a full life is a faith life that really does, in the end, lead to a fun life. You see, following our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and truly being a Christian, living up to what that glorious title, that glorious term actually means is important. If you want your life to have meaning, and I believe there are three things that we all long for in life. I believe that we all long to live a life of significance. We all long to live a life that's exciting. And we all long to live a life when we end, we have as few regrets as possible. So let's look at that first one. Number one, we all want to have a life of significance. And when we talk about a life of significance, what are we talking about? We're talking about that your life has meaning. Your life is attached to something meaningful, that your life has a purpose. What is your purpose in life? That's the important question. It's the why question, not the what question, what are you going to do? Not the how question, how are you going to do it? Not the when question and when are you going to do it? All of those are important questions. But all of those questions stem out of the most important question, why? Why am I here? Why do I exist? Why did you get out of bed today? Why will you get out of bed tomorrow? Why do you want to be married? Why do you want to have children? Why do you want to pursue your career path? Why do you want that degree? 
Why do you want to graduate? The why question is what gives definition to our life. It's what gives meaning to our life. It's what defines our purpose in life. It's been said, and it's a great quote, that the two greatest days in someone's life is the day that you're born and the day you discover why you were born. That day happened to me at the age of 17 when I surrendered my life to Christ, and he appeared to me in a dream, and in that dream, the Lord handed me a sword, and it was at that moment in my life that I knew that I would spend the rest of my life taking his word to my generation. A lot of times, that crystal clear understanding of why you're on the earth may not arrive when you would think it should arrive. I'm reading through the book of Exodus in my devotional reading through Scripture, and I'm reading about the life of Moses. He, it wasn't until he was 80 years old that the why finally crystallized in his own life. When he had that burning bush experience, and he began to realize his entire life up to this point led to this moment when he discovered the why for his life to be a mighty deliverer of God's people out of bondage and to bring them into the promised land. So you may be in your 30s or 40s or 50s and may not clearly know just what your why is. Hold on. The ultimate why in life is about Jesus, loving him and serving him and making him known. Whether you're a doctor or a truck driver or a homemaker or whatever or a student right now, the why of life is attached to our relationship with Jesus, loving him serving him and and making him known you see in life you don't have to be great just attach your some your life to something that is great you see everybody wants to have a cause in life a cause whether it's saving the whales or saving the planet or saving the rainforest but the greatest cause in life is to make Christ known to your generation to share Christ with the world to fulfill the Great Commission in the big way or the small way that God has allowed you the influence in your life to go in all the world and preach the gospel, to support others and to support churches that are impacting the world for Christ. It's necessary. It's important. Why? Because we all want our life to have meaning. In my, some of the books that I'm reading, leadership business books, they did research recently and they discovered that a person that has a purpose in life will extend their lifespan by at least 10 years. Having a purpose having a reason to get up, having a reason to do what you do each and every day that's bigger than yourself, that purpose in your life can extend your life by 10 years. We all love Viktor Frankl, the great psychiatrist and uh, survivor of the death camps during World War II. He said this, those who have a why to live can bear almost any how. If you have a why, you can bear almost any how. For example, there's a new survey of more than 6,500 millennials between the age of 20 and 35. And they found that more than 75% of them have given money to a nonprofit in the last year. And 70% of those are encouraging others to do the same. Why? Because everyone wants to feel as though they're a part of something bigger than themselves that's making a difference, a life of significance. You see, not just a fun life, So many of the YOLO generation, they think the goal is to go to Scotland and bar hop or skydive in Hawaii, you know, or, or, you know, go on some exotic backpacking trip throughout Europe. And some of those things may not necessarily be wrong. There's nothing wrong with doing fun stuff in life. But your life cannot be geared towards having fun because then that's just a fun life. And it'll be, at the end of the day, an empty life. We want to have a full life. 
And the only way to have a full life is to have a faith life, a life of faith, a life that's lived as a Christian, as a Christian. Once again, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, the last part of that verse, it says, and the disciples were called, first called Christians in Antioch. I know this term Christian has been scandalized. Everything's Christian today. We talk about Christian music and Christian movies and we talk about Christian schools and Christian churches and we have Christian clothing lines and we have Christian books and we even have Christian jewelry, a Christian everything. And we so overuse this phrase and this term Christian that we can barely recognize what it means to be a Christian. But in the biblical sense and in the truest sense, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well. In the word Christian is the word Christ. To be a Christian is to be a Christ follower. To be a Christian is to be a little Christ. That the people in Antioch, not necessarily in a derogatory way, but when they saw the people of the way, they're called, we were called people of the way, we were called saints, we were called believers, we were called disciples. But in Antioch, the people watched and observed how they lived, why they lived, what they did, and they first called them Christians in Antioch. The disciples were first called. Now, the term disciple is a very important term. Many of you have, have, under, have heard, I'm a disciple of Jesus, I'm a disciple of Christ. And the word disciple, it means a learner. How important is that word? Well, in the first five books of the Bible, it's mentioned, it's used 261 times. 72 times in Matthew, 44 times in Mark, 38 times in Luke, 77 times in John, and 30 times the word disciple in some form is used in the, in the book of Acts. First five books of the Bible, 261 times. But get this, as soon as the book of Acts is concluded, that phrase, that term is never used again in the Bible. In the next 22 books of the Bible, it's never mentioned again. Why? The Holy Spirit retired it. That's why. Because a disciple had to move way for a new definition of, people, of Jesus' people. And it was the term and the phrase Christian. Now, the doctrine of discipleship has never ended. We never stop growing in our faith. We never stop learning in our faith. But the reason the Holy Spirit retired the phrase disciple and you were now called a Christian is because a disciple is someone who's trying to acquire the truth or come to the knowledge of the truth. And once you meet Jesus, and once you've accepted him in your heart, you're no longer searching for the truth. You have the truth because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. And the people were getting to know who Christ was. But after his death, burial, and resurrection, now we know the truth, and the truth is Christ. In 2 John 1, 2, John said, because of the truth which abides in us, Jesus is the truth, and will abide with us forever. So we're not disciples groping, trying to understand and come to the knowledge of the truth. We know the truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. And we now base our life and live our life based on that one reality. It's hard to know and define reality in our world today, isn't it? I mean, truth has never been more severely under attack than it is in our day and age. It's kind of always been that way. Mankind has always had a, a struggle with knowing the truth and accepting the truth. 
when Jesus stood before Pilate, he asked that question, what is truth? Well, truth was staring him in the face that day. And for many people in our culture, truth is staring them in the face, but they're unwilling to acknowledge it. Because it's more convenient to have your own version of truth, which could be one way today and another day tomorrow. And so deception is at an all-time high in our culture and in our world today. And many atheists and agnostics and non-believers are still asking the same question that Pilate asked 2,000 years ago, what is truth? And because we're unwilling to accept truth, as Scripture says and teaches, the truth of who Christ is, we deny absolute truth. As a result, pregnancies are no longer sacred anymore. Marriage between a man and a woman is no longer sacred anymore. You see, truth is more than a preposition, more than a concept, more than a precept, more than a philosophy. Truth is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. You want to have a life of significance? You want to have a full life and not just a fun life? Surrender your life over to Jesus. Dedicate your life to Christ to serve him all the days of your life. Live out that one truth and everything else in your world will make, will make sense and everything else in your world will fall into place. But you must accept that one truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no one else, none other than him. There was a man who believed he was dead. He believed he was living, but he believed he was dead. It concerned his, his wife, of course. It concerned his children. So they gathered up all the money they could, and they sent him to the best psychiatrist in the world. And they said, doctor, you have to work with our loved one here because he thinks he's dead. So the doctor said, this is going to be a hard case, but I'll do my best. So for weeks and weeks, he had this man read medical journal after medical journal, medical book after medical book. He even had him be involved in autopsies of dead people. And finally, he convinced the man, after months, the man finally said, okay, doc, you've convinced me. Dead people do not bleed. I accept that as being true. The doctor said one final experiment, one final test. He took out a needle, he stuck it in his arm, and the man began to bleed. And with an ashen look on his face, he looked at his psychiatrist and he said, see there, doctor, dead men do bleed. Dead men do bleed. Are you with me today, church? <laughs> you see, for some people, no matter how rigorous a process you put them through to try to convince them of the truth, some people, even at the sight of their own blood, are unable to acknowledge what is truth. I hope you have come to the saving knowledge of what is true in a world filled with such distortions and such confusions and so many lies. You know, little by little, evangelical Christians these days are being brainwashed. And what evidence is that increasing number of them are becoming ashamed to be found unequivocally on the side of truth, proclaimers of truth, living out that truth. They say they believe, but their beliefs have been so diluted as to be impossible to clearly differentiate those who are truly Christian anymore. The term Christian should mean something. It meant something to the early church. It meant something to this individual that's introduced to us here in Acts 11, Barnabas. He was a Christian. He lived a life of significance, a life of purpose. Why? Because his life evolved around Christ. Christ was at the center of his life. 
I hope Christ is at the center of your life today. So let me ask you a couple of questions. What certain what are, what are the certain things that you do in your life that only a Christian would do? And what things do you not do in your life that, you, that, that being a Christian prevents you from doing? What do you do every day that only a Christian would do? And what do you not do every day because you're a Christian? You see, the term, the name, should mean something. It should define our life. And at the end of the day, it's what gives our life meaning, purpose, and significance. The second thing is we all want some excitement in life. Nobody wants to live a boring life. And in a world filled with so many amusements and so many distractions, we've never had more bored people than we do today. Because life is not about the next toy or trinket. It's not about the next hedonistic activity or experience. It's about leaving a, living a meaningful life. And living a life following after Jesus is the most exciting life. You see, it's exciting to be on mission for Je with Jesus. Not necessarily knowing where you're going to end up, but knowing and believing that every day of your life, you're on a collision course with the destiny of God for your life. Living each and every day that it may be today, it may be tomorrow, that like Esther, you, you realize that you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. You've come into the world for such a time as this. That's why you should never stop praying. You should never stop believing. You should never stop dreaming the dream of God for your life and for your future. And it's never too late. I don't care if you're in your 80s. It's not too late. God could punish you by making you live to 120 until you fulfill his purpose in, in, in your life. That's how long Moses lived for. So don't give me this, I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too this, I'm too that. No, you're just who God made you to be and who he's making you in to be. But every day you should walk with such determination and, and such confidence that you're on that collision course of the destiny of God uh, for your life. That's a life of excitement, that you're on mission. Okay, Lord, who do you want me to talk to today? Maybe it's a Muslim co-worker. Maybe it's a fellow Muslim student. That God simply wants you to go across the, uh, the cubicle, across the office, across the classroom, and go introduce yourself to them. Say, hey, I'm, I'm so-and-so. Who are you? Hey, we, we should get together and have coffee one, one day. With no agenda, not to beat them over the head with the Bible, but just to get to know who they are and where they've come from. And I guarantee you, the opportunity will present itself when they want to ask about you and you're able to share well, I'm, here's what I do, but more importantly, here's who I am. So many years ago, I surrendered my life to Jesus. I know in your religion, you believe that Jesus was a prophet. Well, in my faith, let me tell you who I believe Jesus is. And who knows what can come out of that. Or the excitement of walking up to a gay couple and introducing yourself to them like I had the privilege of doing a, a while back. And not any agenda, just simply saying, so wait, where are you from? And, you know, what do you do? And I knew eventually conversation would come up about church and about the Lord. And the door may be open or may not be open at that moment to share Christ and what it means to be born again. But that's okay. You just want to be a friend. You want to show love to people. How many know that people don't have to clean up their life and then come to Jesus? They come to Jesus as they are, and then he'll clean up their life. Amen? <laughs> Excitement. To go on a on a short-term missions trip, the excitement to, to be 
on mission for Christ 24-7, ready and willing to do whatever he tells you to do, to go wherever he wants you to go. That's why I love Barnabas in our story. Barnabas, who was this guy? His, his real name was Joseph. He was a Levite from Cyprus or Cyrene. And Joseph was on fire for Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, he sold a parcel of land and brought it to the church and worshiped God with it. And the whole church was inspired by that act of generosity that even a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira thought, well, hey, look at the recognition. They did it for the wrong reason. Barnabas did it for the right, with the right motive. And they said, why don't we sell some land and bring all the proceeds to the church also? They wanted to be praised and, 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 and adored by the entire congregation. So they did it for the wrong reason. And when they sold the land and they began to count the money, they said, this is way too much money to give to the church. So they held back some. And because they lied to the Holy Spirit, you can read it in Acts chapter 5, they dropped dead in church. But who, ins who inspired this spirit of generosity in the early church? Joseph did, a Levite from the priestly line. Who was Barnabas? He was a guy that was ready and willing to do whatever the Lord needed him to do and wanted him to do. Go wherever the Lord wanted him to go. That's a Christian. That's living a life that's meaningful, a life of significance, and that's an exciting life in the end. He went all the way to Antioch to find Saul, the new convert Saul, who's going to become the great apostle Paul and write two-thirds of the New Testament. Barnabas went all the way to Antioch. Hey, have you seen Saul? Have you seen Saul? He's over here. He's over there. He finally found Saul. He brought Saul back to Antioch, and Barnabas, Barnabas became a mentor. He helped disciple Saul in his early formative years as a new Christian. God bless Joseph, the Levite. But they changed his name to Barnabas. You know why they changed his name to Barnabas? You know what the name Barnabas means? Son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. S-O-E. There's another S-O you know what that people use that describes some people. That's a bad one. But to be a son of encouragement. I hope you're a son of encouragement. I hope every husband in here, I hope you're married to a wife that's your encourager. Because wives, your husband needs encouragement. You don't know the battles they fight. You don't know the struggles they may be going through. So every man deserves a woman who will be his number one encourager. Come on, somebody. Don't be silent on me. I'll take that golf clap. <laughs> and every wife in here needs to be married to a husband who's an encouragement to his wife. Because husbands, you don't know the struggles your wives go through. You don't know the battles that they may be fighting. And so every wife in here deserves that her number one encourager in life is her husband. Oh, I tell you what, every, everybody in here needs a friend that's a Barnabas in their life, that's an encourager. There's so much discouragement in our world. And so many people today, you may be in the service and you're discouraged right now. 
I want this church to be a Barnabas in your life. I want every ministry in this church to be a Barnabas in your life. I want you to walk in weekend after weekend, and I want you to know that when you come here, you're going to be challenged, you're going to be stretched, and you're going to be encouraged in your walk to continue to serve God with purpose of heart, as we just read here in Acts chapter 11. We need more encouragement. We need parents who are encouraging their teenagers and encouraging their young adults and encouraging their children because you don't know the battles and the struggles that young people are having to go through today. And listen to me, young people. Your parents, your mom, your dad, they deserve you to be their number one encourager in their life. Give your mom and your dad the, the praise and the encouragement and speak the blessing over their life. You see, that's what Christians do. No, they're not perfect. We all know what eventually happened with Paul and Barnabas, don't we? Don't we? Acts 16. They got in, a, in such a knockdown, drag-out dispute over John Mark that they split and went their separate ways. You know, I'm glad that story's in the Bible because it lets me know as great as a man of God as Barnabas was, as great as a man of God that Paul was, no one's perfect. You're going to have some bad days along the way. You're going to make some real flubs and make and have some real mistakes along the way. But how many of you know you can always rise again? You can always recover. Never quit. Never give up. And anytime you put somebody on a pedestal, whether yourself or someone else, eventually the pedestal that you place them on, they'll be knocked off. So don't be disappointed. Just know at the end of the day, we're all on that same journey wanting to become more like Jesus. Along the way, we're going to have good days and we're going to have some bad days. But I pray you have more good days than bad days. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Barnabas was a real Christian. He was servant-oriented. He was generous. He was compassionate. He was an encourager. We need more churches filled with Barnabases like that. And they did something really amazing. They knew that some tough economic times were coming, so they took up an offering from the Gentiles there in the church at Antioch. And they sent it with Barnabas and Saul back to Jerusalem to give to the Jewish Christians that were in need. This was an incredible moment when Gentile believers recognized and realized that they owed a spiritual debt, and yes, even a financial debt of gratitude to the Jewish people. Because it's through the Jewish people that God gave us the word and the prophets, and ultimately through the Jewish people that our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, came into the world. So live a life of significance. Uh, live a life of excitement as a Christian. And thirdly, Live your life in such a way that you have no fear of a disappointing end. A disappointing end. You see, all of life has a beginning and all of life has an ending. Ecclesiastes 3.2. There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. And really the bookends of life, when you're born and when you die, and what you do between those two moments determines whether you have a fun life or a full life. And a full life is a faith life that leads to a fun life. You really don't have much say in how things started for you. Your parents do. But you have a lot to say about how things end. 
And maybe you're at a season in your life, maybe you're at a chapter in your life, and maybe things aren't going well. It's not the end. And with God's grace and God's help, you can have a glorious ending. Now, all of us, we know things end, good things end. A good meal has an ending. A good book has an ending. A good movie has an ending. A good sermon has an ending. Or not. Y'all want to go home? Show me some love. So what we like is we like good endings, not bad endings, right? Uh, I went to a movie with a friend when I was in Albuquerque, Pastor Motherman, and it was a great movie, but it had a bad ending. I'm like, that was a sorry ending. I want to ask for my money back. I mean, nobody likes a bad ending, a bad ending to a movie, a bad ending to a book, a bad ending to a sermon, a bad ending to, you know, your, your tenure at a, at, a, at a place of employment or at a church. We need to have better endings. And we can. Maybe you didn't start well, but you can end well. Sometimes we have unfortunate and unhappy endings, don't we? I ran into a friend when, I was in, when we were in Albuquerque, and I said, hey, how's it going, so-and-so? And he said, no, not too good, Carl. He said, my wife and I are getting a divorce. I said, man, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, 27 years later, I actually married them in our former church. I said, man, I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't, I don't, no judgment. I'm just, hey, have you, have you pulled out every stop? I'm sure you pulled out every stop. I mean, they're both Christian people. They both go to a good church. I, I said, you know, there's always hope. He said, oh, I'm just tired. We've been through it. This is complicated, Carl. I said, well, I'm sure it is. I said, did you get counseling? He said, well, we, we've talked to some people along the way. I said, no, 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 not talk to some. I mean, like real Christian therapy. Sometimes, you know, the need is at that level that you need professional help. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know. If you're sick, you go to a real doctor. <laughs> if, you're, if you're having car problems, you go to a real mechanic that knows how to fix it, right? And if you're having life problems, you know, you go to a pastor, yes. But sometimes you need to go to a good Christian counselor. Well, I... I didn't want to preach to him. It was already after the fact. I just wanted to love on him. I said, listen, call me. You have my number. If I could do anything, I'm, you know, we're here for you, and, and I'm sorry. A bad ending. Maybe you've experienced a bad ending in your life. Maybe right now you're kind of going through a bad ending. Well, we, we, all, we all want to ensure that we have better endings. Sometimes we're not guaranteed that. So... When something ends and it doesn't end the way you anticipated it or wanted it to, some things need to die. But then out of that death, God can bring a resurrection and something new can come. That's not to diminish the role that maybe you played in this bad ending. That's not to shift the blame to somebody else or something else. Because when we find ourselves in that situation, we need to own our part. Because it's only then that you're going to be able to become whole and healthy when you become real with yourself and God so that you could extract the lesson that needed to be learned so that you can go on and God can grant you a new beginning and you'll be the better person for it. Because you still have many, many, many good days ahead of you. I speak that in faith over you. Your ending is not coming near in Jesus' name. For some of you, a bright beginning is just dawning 
and I speak that by faith over you right now. Reach out and say, Lord, that's for me. Maybe you've had some bad endings. It's time to have some glorious beginnings so that you can have some glorious endings because the final chapters of your life have not yet been written. The final chapters of your marriage and your family has, have not yet been written. And God is faithful. In the Bible, there is example after example after example of people that ended well. And then there's example of, after example of people that didn't end so well. But look at the people who ended well, the Abrahams, the Jacobs, the Josephs. I was thinking of Joshua and how he stood before the entire congregation of Israel and gave an amazing speech, an amazing sermon. And concluded by saying, hey, as for me and my house, we're going to continue to serve the Lord. He got his house in order and then he, he just died. He ended well. Paul, he wrote to Timothy, he said, I've fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished my race. Now what's in store for me is that crown that awaits me, but not only me, all, all who will endure and finish well to the very end. I hope that becomes my story and your story a story that we live out together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I thank you that it's not just about a fun life, but a full life, which is a faith life. We could live a life that is significant and has meaning and purpose as Christ followers. A life of excitement, a life that we live and make decisions to have as few regrets as possible when it's all said and done. Yes, Lord, we will have some regrets. But there, I, I declare there will be more joys and more celebrations than there will be regrets. I pray now that this message would speak to our hearts and we would say, Lord, what are you saying to me and what would you have me to do? Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you've never yet been born again, today's the day, my friend. And if you're here today and you need to rededicate your life to Christ and restore your relationship with Jesus, now's the time. I'm going to ask you to say this prayer out loud with the rest of us. I'm going to ask you to say it with your own mouth and most importantly, mean it from your own heart. Here we go. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart, come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my father, and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit and give me strength to live for you and serve you as a Christian all the days of my life, beginning today for the rest of eternity, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise together, church family?